Awake, awake. Awake. Are you awake? Awake, awake. It woke me up a little bit. We got a scripture reading that's almost like that. Awake, awake. Here's Paul going somewhere and gets just as tradition has it, knocked off his donkey. Wake up, Paul. Wake up. You're headed the wrong direction to do the wrong things. Awake, awake. You know, you're persecuting me, Saul. You are persecuting me. So here in the, in the scripture reading we have today, we have that, that, that head-on collision between where someone thinks they're going and where God thinks they need to be going. Have you ever had one of those in your life? Head-on collision? I know some of us need bigger two-by-fours than others. <laughs> you know? So if you do, you're in good company with Saul. You are in good company with Saul. Before we get to this part of the scripture story, it says Paul is breathing threats and murder. That's how the story starts in this chapter. Paul was headed to Damascus breathing threats and murder. Someone needed to knock him off his donkey. You know, there's actually no donkey in the story, but tradition for hundreds of years has read into it that somehow he's riding on something, so we have this phrase, he got knocked off his donkey. Right there on his way to do the wrong thing, God knocked him off his horse and sent him the other direction. Awake, awake. You know, sometimes we're asleep and we don't know we need to be awake. Whatever we're breathing in, whatever we are just accepting without question, whatever it is in our lives, it's just a blindness that is overcome us. We don't even know how to ask the questions. So here it is. Awake, awake in the scripture. The scripture is challenging Saul in a very, very serious way. So here's this person who's headed to Damascus because they've had success there in the early Christian movement. And he's headed there to turn it around. And breathing threats and murder, you may think that sounds a little bit too dramatic, but he's just coming from having incited a crowd to stone Stephen to death while he's holding their cloaks. So Paul has just incited a crowd to murder and held their cloaks while they were doing it. So breathing threats and murder, Saul is on his way to Damascus. And awake, awake gets blinded, blinded. What can happen next, we wonder? What can happen next for this prophet that we have known so well, that for many of us is beloved, but here is his story, murderer, inciting people to murder. God had to turn Saul around. And then when he's blinded, his disciples, the strong person, they had to lead him around by hand because he couldn't find his way. And then this next great phrase happens that I think rises alarm for all of us in this congregation. It says, go to Straight Street. <laughs> Did y'all notice that in there? Go to Straight Street. You know, and we kind of go, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> but uh, you're hearing it the right way then. Because God's saying to Saul, go to Straight Street. Go to the street where the people live who are Stephen's family. Go to the street where the people are who have the faith that Stephen has. Go to the place where you just killed one of them. Let your disciples lead you by the hand to that home. Go to Straight Street. Paul, not yet. 
because he hasn't learned enough. Still Saul. Oh, goodness. I wonder if people in Mississippi today would say, hear that as like, go to gay church. You know? Passing all this legislation about how we can discriminate. Go to gay church, you people. Maybe there needs to be a big awake, awake experience going on. But here it is. They're saying, go to straight street to the people and the family and the believers that you have been making sure die or get thrown in prison. So this is the account we have going on. And, and, and Saul goes. But there's another side to this story. There's the people who live on that street. There's the people for whom that is their family and home. And there's this one guy named Ananias in the scripture this morning. And, and Ananias hears God say his name. And Ananias says, here I am. Don't you love that in scripture where it says, here I am. Speak up, God. Tell me what you want. I like it when they're so ready for that in scripture. I'm not always ready for that in my life. Oh, that's my name. Maybe I should run. Well, I think Ananias had that sort of feeling too. Because the next thing that God tells Ananias is, there's this guy named Saul and he's coming to your house. There's this guy who's been killing your people. And he's coming to your house. And then Ananias responds, as you might respond, say, you know, I've heard some things about this guy. Let's talk about this a little bit, God. You know, let's talk about this. I'm not sure I want to welcome this murderer into my home. You know, what is going on? And so God says, no, I've already told him that you're waiting on him. And when he gets there, I've already told him that you're going to heal him of his blindness because I'm going to send him to the Gentiles the one who's been breathing exclusion and hate, I'm going to make the most inclusive fighter for my word that there is. I'm going to do that. And Ananias says, well, I've heard things about him. Really, I've heard things about him. And Ananias goes ahead and does what God asks without any proof, without any proof that Saul will have a change of heart. Let's give him his eyesight back. I wonder if he questioned God's wisdom as he essentially ordained Saul, put his hands upon him. The eyes, the scales fell to wonder what would be next. Do I have that much trust and faith that if God told me to receive the very person into my home that had been causing me harm for healing them, could I do it? Would I do it? Oh, goodness, Ananias has to be some kind of man of faith. Maybe I can live into that someday to be that faithful, to be that, that wondering, that trusting of God. I wonder if they had a smartphone there and caught, caught it on video what it would have looked like. I'm sure the place was packed. Followers of each person there. Because it was two worlds colliding. Two worlds colliding. It wasn't just Saul and Ananias. It was two different groups of people trying to figure out how in the world are we going to find grace enough to live with one another. God, you're doing this thing. Can we do it? Can we be with you? As you know, we've been hearing some of, this, some of the good dramatic work from Dialogues on Grace. And I invite Candace to come forward and share with us the grace account of Dr. Andrea Matthews. Hear what she says about grace. 
people like to call the youth and what's happening in Ferguson and Baltimore as thugs, or these kids are wayward, or that they're actually some kind of terrible people for what they're doing. But notice, back in England, back in the 1300s, when oppression was really hard on Europeans, when they revolted, they literally walked in and killed people and chopped off their heads and paraded them on stakes around the city. When you're fighting against oppression, there's usually death. I think black people show grace every time they burn a car instead of killing people. Or they burn down a building instead of going into a church and killing a whole bunch of white folks. This guy who came into a church in South Carolina, he said that black people were raping his people and that we wanted to take over the world. What does he do? He goes and he kills black people. Black youths are not going into Beverly Hills and killing a whole bunch of white people. That is grace. Black cops are not retaliating against white people and pulling them over for traffic tickets and beating them and shooting them in the back. They're just not. And we get bombarded every day with hate statements, oppression, reminding us that we're not wanted because God made us a certain color, because we were closer to the sun than our brothers and sisters in Europe. That's it. The only difference, got more sunlight. You, you're mad at us for that. You punish us because you were in the cold climates and we were in the hot climates. I, it, it sounds like a little bit of jealousy to me, but... <laughs> Even though people are dying, we go on national television and we say, we forgive the shooter. We ask for peace among our people and among all Americans. And it infuriates me when I hear them say that these kids are thugs and gangsters and criminals. How? How? They burned a car. That's it, a car, to show their frustration. When the Klan come, they burn down six churches. Now they do that and they also go in and kill. I mean, this guy who came into the church in South Carolina was literally mad because the Klan wasn't doing enough. And he went into a church, and he prayed with them. And then he shot them and killed them. If we were to do that, this game would be... I don't think the world is ready. I, I hope that Americans pray that African Americans stay as graceful as we have been over the centuries. It, historically, we have always shown grace to our oppressors. It's in us. It's what we do. However, now it's, it's changing. This younger generation, I, I can't promise that they're going to march as well as we did. I can't promise that they're going to march as well as we did. Shame and blame come in all shapes and forms, calling people names. 
putting on a whole set of people your own stuff. We do it in so many ways. We've seen it in the political process this year. We know people are pointing their fingers. We know they're shaming. We know they're blaming. We know they're trying to make you afraid of those who are not like you. We know they're trying to get you to live in that fear. We know they're trying to get you to forget that God loves you and calls you to be a people of grace. We know they're doing it for votes. We know they're doing it for power. What does it mean that instead of pointing the finger, Ananias says, Saul, receive your sight? What does it mean that the story we have in Scripture of being a faithful disciple means restoring the relationship with the one that's caused harm? What does it mean that the story in the scripture we have is the one who's the violence person, the perpetrator, may only get healing from the ones that he or she has harmed? What does it mean that we all need and count on grace? That it's a must for us to be a people of God. As each and every day we're fed with this shame and blame and pointing fingers and who you're supposed to be afraid of. And God enters in and says, okay, Ananias, he's coming your way. He's coming your way. I need you to be a healer. Oh, goodness gracious, is that grace for everyone? When I hear Dr. Andrea's story and she talks about how every time this happened versus this happened, that's grace. Every time someone didn't go cutting off someone's head, putting them on sticks, that's grace. You know, we've seen some of the bad things come about this week in Mississippi and other states where they've lifted these referendums because they're telling people who to be afraid of. They're telling people we can extend love and rights and equality to everybody but those folk. Have y'all seen it in the news? Seen it in the news. Goodness. And we get upset about it because we know what they're doing is they're rewriting into law the very thing that marriage equality overcame. They're trying to put it back in a different way. They're trying to rewrite the structure so that we can be just as discriminatory as we used to be. You know, they're taking a book out of the page of Southern white folk who wrote Jim Crow laws. They're trying to do that again. Can we pay attention and know? And can we pay attention and know even beyond that concern of that might match our own? Can we know that those pastoral protection laws or those religious freedom laws are just acts of discrimination? Can we know that and name that? But can we also then extend that learning and that knowledge when we find out that the very inception and thought and creation of the war on drugs was about discrimination? Historically, it's coming to light now even more and more so that the early ways that it was put into place and intended to be in place was so that we would incarcerate as many black persons as possible. 
the tapes are coming out. Can we be as angry about that? And if we get as angry and upset about a war on drugs that's been used to mislead us for all these years, can we do something about it? Or will we just be paralyzed? Can we take God's instruction to go where we don't want to go and maybe be healed? I don't know. Who would it be by? A felon? Someone that might have been put into jail for having a little amount of pot? Which street would they tell us to go to? Which door would they tell us to knock on? And would they have grace? You see, because we're blind in ways we don't even know how to ask questions, would they have enough grace to say, God told me to sit with you in this. God told me to be with you, even lay hands on you for healing and release you into the world without any proof from you at all that you're going to be any different. So where in your life might this reside? Where might you be blind? I've lifted up one example, but there may be many others in our own lives. They may be simple and small things, or they may be huge things that are hard to overcome. In our book, uh, Karen McClintock gives the example of being the first woman pastor at a church. A lot of people's scales had to fall from their eyes to accept a woman to be in the pulpit. And she talks about what that was, life was like for her as the first woman pastor in that church. And then she talks about that she had the gall and the audacity to get pregnant. You mean our woman pastor has sex? You mean our woman pastor has sex and doesn't use condoms? Oh my goodness. With her husband? But that the congregation, some of them started to grumble that they didn't have enough, she didn't have enough time and, and she had this baby and this baby was spending up too much time and keeping them away. And so um, she thought when she came back from maternity leave, she would have to address it head on. And she picked out the people who were grumbling the most about not having this attention and, and not being able to let scales from, the, from their eyes that a woman can be a preacher and a mother and reveal God's word to them. And so she talked to these couple of men who had been complaining, and they started saying to her, well, you're just away too much. You're taking too much time for your family. She listened to all this, listened to all this, and they were pointing their finger, and they were blaming her for all of this that was going on, which wasn't too much, really. But then they got to the crux of it. They said, and you don't play golf. The past pastor we used to be able to play golf with. And she said, well, no, I don't play golf. And I am a woman and I am a mother. And that's always the way it's going to be. But did you hear what he was looking for? They were looking for this connection they used to have. They were grieving something that was lost and what meant to them this buddy-buddy relationship playing golf that wasn't happening in the same way and wasn't going to happen. But in grief, they blamed her for being fertile. They blamed her for being who she was. How do we do that in our lives? Think of your own life. Where may you project and blame someone instead of maybe trying to listen into grace? And big, lift up a big prayer. Oh God, help me 
have the scales fall from my eyes where they need to because I don't even know where it is. Put in front of me what needs to be there so that I can grow. Help me to say, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I want to close with this dramatic reading from a poem from a man named Michael Coffey. And as you leave today, we've been having little handouts for you. There's a prayer from last Sunday uh, that Reverend Vicki had for you, and there's this, oh, to be as bad as Paul. Are you all ready? Oh, to be as bad as Paul. You waited for your Damascus blinding flash, and all you got was tourist cameras and smartphones, capturing a wisp of history at the roadside marker. You waited to get knocked off your electric horse, and all you got was a circling carnival pony ride when you were five and all was wonder and wow. You waited for your own scaly-eyed vision of glory, and all you got was a fall back to earth, and your highs were humbled like the poor's dreams. You waited in the dark, on the ground, in dirt and dung, humility sucking you deep, like Tarzan's quicksand. And then, in giving up, you were called by name and released. O oh, people of God, what do we have to give up so we may be called by name and released? Amen. <laughs>